0: Good morning, everybody. Good morning. I'm going to speak a message today called The Four Powerful Messages Every Child Longs to Hear. And so I need to get a show of hands real quick to find out how many of you are somebody's child. I love questions that get 100% answered. Um, yeah, I'm going to speak kind of in, in general terms to uh, sort of the parent-child relationship, but all of us are in a parent-child relationship of some sort. And uh, so this may speak to you as a parent, it may speak to you as a a child, and you might even be 60 years old and it would speak to you as a child. In fact, we had a 68-year-old man attend one of our workshops not long ago in support of his younger brother who'd adopted kids, and he bought a bunch of books and went and started telling all of his friends. Uh, We did a workshop last week in Anamosa, Iowa, a little rural community, and the audience that grew the largest during the, the three nights that I spoke were people 50 and older, because Something about our families, something about these, these relationships between parents and children uh, reach into the very depth of who we are and tug at stuff and work on stuff and ultimately become defining for us. And so I want to talk for just a few minutes this morning about these four messages that, that every child longs to hear. And I'd, I'd like to anchor our time together um, In a scripture verse that's in Ephesians 6, uh, and it's the the first four verses of Ephesians chapter 6, a passage here that might be, in fact, probably is the most uh, well-known parenting, parent-child sort of passage in all of scripture, for sure, in the New Testament. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with the promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. Parents love this verse, (laughs) right? This verse isn't written for parents. It's written for children. The verse that's written for parents is next. Uh, In the scriptures it says, fathers, I'm not a Greek scholar. Rob, help me out here a little bit. Uh, My understanding of the Greek word that is translated here to be fathers is that it can be sort of a generalized term uh, to mean the parent in authority, which at that time in culture was typically the father. But I think it's fair to say, parents, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. That's our verse, parents. And we're going to talk a little bit about some of the problems that happen um, When parents dwell on a verse that's not theirs, I'd like to pray. Lord, even as we look into uh, this scripture passage this morning um, and uh, some others and some ideas that um, you've shown my wife Lynn and I over the years, I pray that hearts would be reached and touched and compelled um, more deeply into relationship with you as a loving, heavenly parent who meets all our needs in a perfect way. Uh, in in ways that compel us in our most important relationships to be people who reflect your love and your grace that you would be glorified in and through us uh, in Jesus' name so uh, one day I love to interview teenagers I love to Uh, hang out with teens. I worked for 12 years at a place called Treehouse. Maybe some of you have heard of Treehouse, the youth ministry organization. Before that, I was a youth minister um, in the church where I was Paul Murphy's first full-time paid staff person who he supervised. So that gives you a little context and history. I've known Paul for years. Paul came uh, and then worked with us at Treehouse. Uh, And then in the last 10 years, my wife and I launched this ministry organization called Connected Families, and we work with, with families everywhere on the spectrum of health in terms of emotional, relational health. Uh, and we provide coaching, we provide counseling, and we hear stories. Every... So I love to interview, especially teenagers, because one of the things that I think is so important that parents often miss is, what is the perspective of teenagers on all the stuff that's going on? between them and their, their parents. Because, you know, parents have their hands on their hips and they got it right, and kids got their hands on their hips and they got it right, and parents don't understand. And, what, you know, if, if only they knew, and the day is different, Mom, you know, Dad, you don't get it anymore because you don't know how to instant message on America Online instant messaging. Taught a lot of parents back a few years ago to text. Now everybody text messages. Um, but, I, but so I hear this stuff, and I'm talking to a, a group of kids, and I ask this question. Do you think when your parents discipline you for misbehaving and i paused that they ever misbehave without hesitation matt who was sitting in the back seat i was driving a group of kids says yeah absolutely they misbehave but there's nobody to hold them accountable for it and they're much more sophisticated about the way they misbehave than i am (laughs) i thought wow that's a pretty interesting concept so um a week or so later I was, I was telling a group of kids this story and then Annika jumped up and said, that's why I act the way I do sometimes to hold my dad accountable for what a ninny he can be. Because when I tell him he's a ninny it doesn't get me anywhere but if I act in ways that embarrass him in front of his friends that's how I hold him accountable. Wow. So there's a lot of stuff going on that sometimes we could pay better attention to. And so I thought to myself, um, you know, man, parents really got to get in the game here a little bit better. Parents ought to think more about what's going on with them and their kids. And then I was in the car with my own teenage son who was 15 or so at the time. And (laughs) a lot of stuff happens in the car. I think tight quarters, you can't go anywhere. Parents always have an agenda. Kids just want to be left alone. Uh, but this kid didn't want to be left alone. In fact, we were going to a grad party for some friends of his. Um, and, no, he was 16 because he just started driving. So um, he, he wanted, after we were at the grad party, to take the car while he, we left at the grad party and go visit another friend of his who lived nearby. And for a lot of reasons, that wasn't okay with me. Um, I couldn't articulate them all at the minute, but I just knew it inside. And so I said, no, you're not going to use the car. Oh, come on, I'll do this, that, and the other thing, and you'll be back, and it won't even be a problem. And I don't even hardly know these people, but you, you know, I got this friend, right? Daniel, this is one of those times where I'm the dad, and I don't have to explain my reasons to you for everything. And my no means no. And he said to me, he, he thought, he was quiet, and I'm nervous, because <laughs> this guy's smarter than me. I mean, he is smarter than me. <laughs> and, and, um... He, he says to me, all right, Dad, you win. I'll accept your answer. But if you want me to respect you the way that I really want to respect you, you'll help me understand your reasons. Now... That's a deep thought, folks. My son said that to me. I should have thought of that and told him that, but I was just digging my heels in. And, um, you know, here's, here's what I think is the problem. I was dwelling on children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Thinking that if I just said no, that my son would somehow automatically do his verse, obey your parent. Um, <laughs> But he was exasperated. I, by my behavior, was exasperating my son. And he helped me understand the reason that I was exasperating him was because I wasn't giving him information that his soul needed in order to develop a deeper level of respect for me. I think my son that day, and I tell this story often because I think that he spoke for lots of kids everywhere who don't Uh, and who aren't able to articulate themselves that clearly. Our Our kids want to respect their parents. They want deeply to respect their parents. But parents, out of our own stubbornness, out of our own sin, dare I say out of our own disobedience, we exasperate our kids. One of the versions of the Bible says that we provoke our children to wrath instead of bringing them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And so parents tend to dwell on the child's part of this verse while avoiding responsibility for their own part. And that's what I want to talk about just a little bit this morning. And I want to illustrate a little bit about how this works in real time. And so I've asked Rob, all I asked Rob was, would you be willing to help me out with something today? And he said yes. And so this is the part. He has no idea what I'm about to do. But here's what we're going to do, Rob. Um, I'm going to ask you to be a 10-year-old child. Get your microphone out. Stand up. I'm going to ask you to be a 10-year-old child. who. That's has pretty good. I'm a pretty good 10-year-old. <laughs> okay. Don't interrupt me right now, young man. I'm talking to these people. <laughs> you're exasperating me. Just, just go, you go sit down over here in this chair and be quiet until I tell you to talk. See, <laughs> we're so starting already. So here's what's happened. Um, um, Rob wants to, uh, 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 it's, uh, it's dinner, we just finished dinner, Rob wants to go do what he wants to do, which is... Uh, go outside and play with the neighbor kids Which, I mean, wouldn't it be glorious if our kids would want to go outside and play more often But that's what we're going to say He wants to go play outside with the neighbor kids And there's a really big ball game going on in the cul-de-sac And he wants to be a part of that, and it's really cool <clears throat> um, But he hasn't done his chores He hasn't cleaned his room, he hasn't cleared the dishes It's his job after dinner to help load the dishwasher um, And we've talked about this In fact, it's a rule written on the refrigerator, Okay? <clears throat> And he bought into it, as far as I know, because he put his initials on the bottom of the little contract that we made. <laughs> but he's really excited to get outside, and so here we are um, after dinner. And, Rob, you, uh, you've got your urgency about getting to this, and I've got my urgency about your obedience to the rules, okay? You may talk now. <laughs> Great, Dad. Can I go outside and play with my friends? There's a baseball game that we're going to start, and I already got my glove. It's, all, it's already... Ho, oh, oh, ho, oh, oh, ho, oh, oh, ho, oh, come up for air here a little bit. Um, <laughs> have you got your chores done or the dishes done? Is your room clean? No, but I could do that after. Now, wait a minute, young man. You know the rules. And we said not after, but before. And you agreed to it. So don't you get started with me. I can see you taking that breath. Just relax and do your work. (laughs) I'd like to do my work, but it's going to be dark by the time I finish those things. And, And... since because of technology we have these incandescent bulbs and now and so we could do Listen, like I you, could do you the stop dishes. right now you stop right now i told you the answer the answer is no you got to get your stuff done you should have thought of all of this before dinner son this is all part of god's training our training in your life now get it done and then you can go out come and let me know when it's done by the way i mean we just did this last night don't you learn what is what is with you just get it done and come back to me and let me know Okay, we're done for now. If we were in a workshop setting, I would ask you a question right now, which is, number one, what are the goals that the parent that I had in that situation? My goals are obedience. My goals are following the rules. My goals are responsibility. I'd write them all down up here. Uh, My goals are that my child does what he's agreed and we've agreed is the expected thing to do as a part of God's work in his life in this household to grow him into a responsible young man. and those are all good goals. Those are goals we ought to have as parents for our kids. Um, But there's a problem, and the problem is is that in spite of these goals that I have over here on this board, Rob is experiencing something altogether different from me. He might have heard those goals, but he also heard something come from me that comes in the way of what I think are exasperating messages to kids, messages that provoke kids to wrath, and they're less about what I say, and they're more about how I say them. And so, um, you know, what if we were to begin a sentence with the words "Rob, you are"? How would you fill that blank in based on how I just talked to Rob? You are disobedient. You are selfish. You are thoughtless. You are a pain. You're a problem. You know. Again, we would draw. We would. We would take some time to to draw this out but at the end what we'd have is we'd have a list of all these good goals that parents usually have for their kids and a list of all these messages that our child is receiving based on our good goals and so there's a big disconnect we've written a little book called discipline that connects with the child of your heart the reason we wrote that book is to help parents bridge this gap between what we want for our kids and what they're experiencing from us that tends to exasperate them The big disconnect is that our goals for our kids and the messages that the kids often receive from us are opposites. And when those messages and those goals are opposites, this is sure to exasperate our kids as well as us. And I'd suggest that when these are our goals and we communicate them in a way that exasperate our kids, we, the parents, are the ones in disobedience. I think our kids ought to rebel from us when we act this way as a way of helping us understand that we need to figure out how to not exasperate our kids in obedience to the verses that say, parents, don't exasperate your kids, but bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. So here's the deal. All these all these goals and all these messages that I just talked about getting communicated to kids, I've done that a hundred times, a thousand times, many times. It's not what we do, I think, that's the big problem. The big problem is, is that it's, it's, it's what we don't do, which is add a new set of goals um, that we're fully responsible for. So these goals here, you should be obedient, you should be respectful, you should clean up, you should, you should... All those goals are about what my child can do. I actually, honestly, have no control over whether my child does that stuff. It's not my responsibility. If I'm not going to exasperate my kids, I better start thinking more about goals that I have that I'm more responsible for, over which I have full control of outcomes. And so, the cool thing is, and what I'm going to talk about here for the rest of our time, for just a few minutes, is... Um, I can have goals that I'm in control of as a parent. And it might look like this. Hey, Rob. Yeah, it's time again. Um, Hey, hey, Rob, buddy. Um, I can see already that you're kind of eager to go out and play with your buddies. You love your buddies, don't you? Are we starting over? We're starting over. Okay. Yes, I am very eager to go play with my friends. And you remember what we said needs to be done before you go? Um, something about the dishes and chores. And... Oh, so you do remember in part. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the dishes and your room, real quick, need to get cleaned up before you can go out. And this has been a struggle for you, I know. Yes. But I also know that you can overcome it, and I'd love to get in the trenches and help with it a little bit tonight so you can get out to your buddies quick. Do you want some help or you want to do it on your own? I would love help. Okay, what do you want to start, your room or the dishes? Uh, I think my room. Okay, let's go. All right. Um... Again, in a workshop setting, we discussed this for a while. Number one question, which of those is more rewarding for me, the parent? I mean, I suppose if we have to take two hours cleaning his room, (laughs) that might be a little problematic. But you know what? I want to communicate that I'm for him, not against him, as a primary goal. Um, um, And let me just kind of really quickly summarize where we're going to go with all of this. My goal here was was obedience secondary, relationship primary, messages primary. I uh, had a mom tell us the other day, we actually have people role-play these with each other in the context of a deal, and how did that go for you, and how was the first skit different than the second skit? And one mom said something really profound. She said, in the second skit, when, the go- when, when my primary goals were the four messages, my no was easier to say. I was confident about it, and it wasn't, it, there wasn't even a temptation for my child to argue with it. When my goal is the, the behavior, the obedience... Then it invites power struggle. When my goal is stuff that my child can't power struggle with me over, I get fully to decide. It actually empowers our ability to also hold kids accountable to these other goals. The four messages, Rob, you're safe with me. Rob, you're loved no matter how you're behaving or what you choose. And he could have gone cantankerous and we would have had to role play that out, but we could have. Um, Rob, you're God's workmanship, built to do good stuff that God prepared in advance for you to do. You're God's masterpiece. And you're responsible for the choices and, and actions that you make. It's, your life is yours, buddy, not mine. Those are the four messages. So I want to unpack these each just really quickly. Um, and I want you to listen th- through, you know, right now as you've been listening, um, You've thought of your kids, you've thought of your parents, maybe you've even thought of coworkers or other people that you work with um, where you realize the way that you have acted toward the people in your life have not communicated these four powerful messages. And what I'd like to suggest is that if anybody's heart is going to be open to the gospel of Christ, the gospel of grace, the gospel of truth, the gospel of redemption, they have to believe these messages about themselves and they have to believe ultimately that these are messages about God to them. And so we are Jesus with skin on, no matter whether it's our children, our parents, the people in our neighborhoods that, that uh, Rob talked about earlier, um, wh- whoever it might be. We're Jesus and these are the messages. You are safe with me. Nahum seven says, The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. When we're models of this, those around us feel safe with us, but not only safe with us, but safe to explore relationship with a God who is a refuge in times of trouble. Um, one very specific way that we like to talk with parents about being safe, um, uh, we're encouraged by the words in James 1, 19 and 20. Everyone should be slow to lis- uh, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. You know, what if, as our goal of trying to be more safe, we decided to be you know quicker to listen, slower to anger, slower to give our opinion, better at asking questions, better at calming ourselves, so that. you, you know, when, when you're upset, when you're physically upset, your brain goes into a gear that makes it very difficult to be rational unless you've gone through some rigorous training about how to be a certain kind of rational in a certain kind of crisis. We don't think clear when we're in, what, you know, what some folks call fight or flight mode. As parents, we get in fight or flight mode with our kids. I think that exasperates them. I think that's Disobedience. Lori was a single mom uh, in an abusive relationship, whose h- husband had uh, left her and had court orders and the restraining orders, and you know the whole thing—ugly, yucky—and th- three boys, three years apart, who were always at each other, modeling a lot of what they had learned from dad in their relationships as you know four, five, and six-year-old, seven-year-old kids. And um, we were working pretty closely, doing some coaching with Lori, and she told this story about how one day she, she heard the Legos crash, and she heard two kids just start screaming like crazy at each other in the kitchen. And she ran in, and she had her hands on her hips, and her, her brow was furled, and she was, you know, getting ready to do what she'd kind of typically done. And she remembered, you know, oh, i got to calm myself. But she couldn't think of how to calm herself, except for she remembered something from Johnny Appleseed, a story she'd read in school one time about counting to ten. So she said, I just sat there over my kids and I went, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10. She said, My little boys looked up at me like, what in the world has gotten into mom? And I was still kind of upset and I didn't know what to do. So, so I did it again one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. And I was able to start breathing a little deeper. And now they're kind of going from this to a little bit amused, like, okay, now what? And I finally decided, you know what? This is, look at the kids are responding. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and and the kids were laughing, and Lori was laughing, and she said, "It looks like you guys have gotten yourself into a little mess here right now. How can I help you get out of it?" Self calming. I had another dad I was working with uh, asked me to, to tell. To, I asked him to tell me, "What do you think your son sees in you when you discipline him?" And he says, "He sees a raging bull." with horns down. And I said, what do you want to do about that? He says, i got to get my horns up. i got to take steps back instead of forward all the time. Literally physically. When you want to calm yourself, if you just do the opposite of what you're physically inclined to do, that motion can help change your emotion. My son and his wife have learned this deal. When they start to get upset uh, and reflect to each other, What's going on? If, if my son or daughter-in-law is starting to feel upset in an argument that they're having, one of them has, they've, they've taught each other and trained each other to ask this question. Is this how we want to be responding to each other right now? And that helps build an instant moment of regrouping and calming. Uh, another piece of being safe is being aware. Psalm 51, six says uh, about God. Surely, you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. So many of us as parents, we jump in and do what we do, and we say, the reason I did it is because my kid acted that way. That is not true. If that was true, then when my son spilled milk as a four-year-old at the table in front of my parents, and I got mad at him, my mom would have got mad at him too, but you know what she did? Isn't that cute? When he spilled the milk on purpose, different perspective, different calmness, different something. His behavior did not cause my anger. My belief, my position, my selfishness, my taking that personally somehow and being embarrassed by it um, was what was going on. When we learn to ask ourselves, what am I thinking and feeling, and how does that contribute to how I behave? Um, it helps us grow self aware. Uh, spoke this message to a group of pastors and a pastor stood up and said, oh my gosh, I feel so convicted right now. I got a 13-year-old daughter who's out of control and I've got this belief in my head and I say it to my wife. I've never said it to my daughter, but I know I've said it to my daughter without using words. She's a train wreck. And I'm scared to death about where she's going to be when she's 18 years old. I've got all this fear and I've got all this judgment and I've got all this angst and I act out of it toward my daughter and I'm not responsible for it. Lord, convict me, help me, help me figure it out. He reported to us a year later, he said, that one little half day with our pastor's staff changed the course, the trajectory of my daughter with my relationship forever. She's a miracle. She's intensely wired for good purposes. God built her to be something important and significant. When we become self-aware of the thoughts and the feelings that we have that are recurrent, that keep us doing the same things that we do, it helps us, at the very least, start to protect our kids from that. Um, <laughs> I, had a, I had a situation one time where uh, I, 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 was, I had a stressful day at work, uh, I was on the cell phone right until I got to the house, my kids are now 20, 22, and 24, this was probably six, seven years ago, <clears throat> and... Um, I I opened the garage door and came into the dining room and they were all three of them fighting verbally over a magazine at the dining room table. And I said, would you three stop it? I just got home. I've had a tough day. You know know better than this. (laughs) My son said, hey, Dad, you must have had a tough day. You didn't connect first. I threw my baggage from the day at my kids. And then I was prompted. And this is a cool thing about all of this, is that um, I still to this day don't get it right a lot of the time. But I have a model for what I want to do. I've spoken it out loud to the people in my life that are the most important. I've told them I want to be safe. I want to make sure you know you're loved, that you're a masterpiece, and that you're responsible. Help me when I get out of line. That day in my dining room, my son said, you know he 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 corrected me based on my telling him I want to be safe, I want to be loving, I want to connect well with you kids. And that prompted me when he said dad you didn't connect first. I said hey kids, could I have a do over? I'm sorry. I was out of line. And I literally walked backwards out the door, you know, like, I'm, like it's in reverse. And I went in the garage and I prayed, Lord, give me your heart for those kids. And I came in and, of course, just knowing that I had gone out to become a safe person, settled them right away. They were working m- m- more constructively at solving their deal. Hey, kids, good to see you. How you doing? Uh, love seeing you. I've had a hard day. Um, I see you're having a little... You need any help in this squabble or you got it? Because I'm kind of tired, too. No, we got it, Dad. We'll be fine. All right, if, if you're struggling with it, um, I'd appreciate it if you could just maybe take it downstairs for a while and solve it. I know you kids solve well. I've seen you do it a bunch of times, but I just need some space right now because I've, I've had a tough day. And... Sure, Dad, no problem. Thanks. Got to do a do-over. Held accountable by these, these four powerful ideas and the power of rebuilding. Second message, that you're loved no matter what. The key thought about this is that when we're in struggles, when there's crisis in relationships, when the people around us aren't acting the way we'd like them to act, and even more so, maybe they're acting wrongly. Maybe they're acting badly. Maybe they're sinning against me. Um, we have perhaps our most powerful opportunity of all to show them what unconditional love is about. If, if you consider a person's soul like a bank account, when you tell somebody you love them when they're doing nice work, good job, so proud of you. It's like putting a few nickels or quarters into the bank account of their soul. If you wait until there's nothing particular going on, hey, son, good to see you, I love you. Oh, thanks. You know, that's even got more value. Do these things, they're important, but if we really want to put a deposit into the bank account of the souls of the people around us, our children especially, to do it when they're struggling the most is when we have our most powerful opportunity. And a couple of different quick ways to do that. Just say it and show it. Did you see me with Rob? I, I don't even remember what I did or what I said. I was just guided by these principles. I, I showed love. I was I was I was warm. I put my hand on his back. I can You know. I I think I affirmed something that he'd said. I um, I don't. Did I say I love you? I don't even know. I could have. Um, one one mom who heard this teaching uh, with a furled brow, because she didn't want to reward misbehavior with anything loving, because that's not how she grew up, had an opportunity the week after the teaching um, to put this into practice. Her little daughter was playing with a soccer ball, five years old, playing with a soccer ball in the living room, and where she knew she wasn't supposed to be, and... Mom hears this crash, goes in to discover that the heirloom lamp she'd inherited from her great-grandmother was shrapnel all over the living room. She was outraged, and she did that thing that she'd felt and seen herself do so many times before, and she was about to launch into her daughter with rage. But her daughter was cowering in fear on the floor. And Melody says, for the first time in my life, I saw the fear. I was able to have compassion because these words came at me, love no matter what. And my heart was broken for all of the times in the past that I had taught my daughter to fear my rage for me when she messed up. And I got down on the floor and I said, Honey, I love you. That lamp was important to me. But you are so much more important, honey. I love you. And the daughter wept, jumped into her mom's arms. And that was a healing moment in Melody's life. Not healing just in that moment for her and her daughter, but it it helped her to recognize and understand the rage that she felt toward her mom. And a couple of years later, Melody was able to go to her mom in messages of love that she'd never received from her mom because she'd learned to receive from others and from God an unconditional love, forgive her mom and lead her mom into relationship with Christ before she died. Just got an email um, a couple of weeks ago from a mom who heard this teaching, and she just wrote wrote an email, and she said, I want to encourage you. My kids um, need discipline just as much as ever. (laughs) <laughs> but they respond to me differently and I'm a different mom. Now my kids when I discipline they my son the other day said, "Mom, why are you smiling?" "Why why do you No, why do you always smile when you discipline me?" And the mom just said, "Because I want you to know how much you're loved." I saw Pastor Rob do this with his kids this morning. A little trouble going on in, in in the pre-service prayer and the kids were doing the best they could but and and No, kids, you know what? can't be here, but you know what? Remember the last thing your daddy said to you when you went out the door? He said, I love you. Yeah. Let's make sure our love gets in there. Another powerful way that we can show love is to learn to listen better, to empathize. That's this James 119 stuff. Um, how, How could I... Express an understanding. Again, I think I did this with Rob. I can see you're really excited. I know what it's like to be you. Boy, I can see you're really upset. Boy, you're really having a hard time right now, aren't you? This is so tough for you, but I know you can get through it. Dr. Ross Green has written a couple of books, one called The Explosive Child, one called Lost at School. Uh, He might be the nation's um, best-known... school behavior intervention sort of guru. And the key to everything he does to see dramatic reductions in in violent, um, recurring violence and and violent outbursts in school is that he's got a program um, that is rooted in listening and empathizing. Instead of going into kids who've gotten in trouble and saying, you know what, this is the third time this week, what is wrong with you? You know the rules, here's what's going to happen. The protocol begins with, gosh, you must really be feeling upset about this. I can see that you're really upset. Tell me about what's upsetting. Help me understand you instead of me lording over you and towering over you and just telling you the way things are. I really would like to know what it's like to be you. Listening and empathy. Some folks suggest this is too soft. Bible tells us God's kindness leads to repentance. In Romans two 4. we've seen this dynamic in our work with families lead to repentance. God's kindness leads to repentance. Our kindness also leads to repentance. I have a worry about teaching this message of unconditional love, and the worry is <clears throat> that parents will hear it and think, well, if I start doing this loving stuff enough, my kids will quit acting the way that they act. It doesn't sound very unconditional to me. Uh, it's not supposed to work in order to leverage behavior with your kids. It's supposed to work in terms of giving you a new heart and a new orientation toward your kids. The thought is that over time our kids will respond, but that's not up to us. That's their list, remember? Imagine if, if uh, Romans 8, 38 and 39, and you can put it on the board, but I'm not going to read exactly what's there. Um, I'm going I'm to change it just a little bit from the parent's perspective. What if it read like this? I'm convinced, child... Of mine, that neither bad grades nor failure, neither tantrums nor defiance, neither sibling conflict nor disrespect, neither whining nor complaining, neither forgetfulness nor messes, nor any other misbehavior will be able to separate you from my love for you or God's amazing love for you. And most parents will say, Yeah, I love my kids when they misbehave, I just don't like them. This is about bringing like to the misbehavior as well and seeing stuff that you didn't see before so that you're not so irritated and agitated by goals not being met, but that you're, that you're motivated by your goal to make sure your children know that they are loved no matter what. Very quickly, you are God's workmanship. This is a message rooted in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, which says about, I think, all of us. This is a verse meant for all of us. We are God's handiwork. Other versions say workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The key thought here is that parents can find and build strengths in a child even when they misbehave. Every challenge is an opportunity for my child and for me to grow in what we were prepared to do. Instead of just punishing or controlling, what positives can we build on even when there's stress, even when there's conflict? Um, what if we came to this conflict with a mindset of what there might be to affirm? Um, <clears throat> Philippians 4.8, um, and I, I won't take time to read it right now, but it's, it's a verse that talks about whatever is good, whatever is pure, whatever is uh, righteous, whatever is worthy of praise, if there's anything excellent, let your mind dwell on this. This is the Apostle Paul writing this from in chains in prison, not knowing if he's going to come in and get his head cut off at any moment, wondering if he's ever going to get out. A couple verses later, he says he's learned the secret of being content. Here he is saying, let your mind dwell on these things, whatever is good and pure and excellent and praiseworthy. Had an opportunity to practice this with one of the youth in our practice one time, right, in our practice, at our youth outreach, Treehouse. Um, I rounded the corner and big Christy was, was laying into little Holly <clears throat> with a blue streak of cuss words that would make a sailor proud. And Holly was cowering in fear, but then she looked over Christy's shoulder And she saw me, and it cued Christy into that something was going on behind her. So she turns around and and looks at me, and I'm madder than a hornet because nobody talks this way in my outreach to people. I'm in charge here, and it is not okay to talk that way. And you know that, young lady. That's what's impulsively welling up inside of me, which I know would have got me into a fight and led to a bad place. And somehow the Lord, in that little moment where Holly's looking at me and Christy's wondering and turns around, she says to me, am I kicked out? I said, I don't know. Maybe. But I need to tell you something. And the Lord gave me this. The words that you just used weren't good words, but I gotta tell you, that was some of the most creative use of those words I've ever heard. And she went from, (laughs) really? Yeah, and I don't want you to do that anymore. But, Holly, is it all right if I work with Christy a little different than we work with other people when this happens sometimes? Yeah, sure. They're always curious what I've got up my sleeve next. Um, How about, uh, Christy, we give you an opportunity to use that gift that you're so good at in constructive and honoring ways around here. And we made Christy in charge of announcements and in charge of putting together posters with cool words on them. And, and her consequence for acting that way was to position her gift that had come out twisted by her sin and her selfishness and her rage in a way that was honoring rather than dishonoring. Uh, we could take a bunch of time right now to unpack you know, how hard is it to identify what are the skills that drive the misbehavior? And then then give an opportunity for those gifts to be used in powerful ways. The Apostle Paul is a classic example of this. He was an amazing strategist, killing Christians like crazy. Jesus meets him on the road, just repositions his gifts. Imagine how our lives would be different if that hadn't happened. A repositioning instead of Paul just getting squished and getting what he deserved, which was death. And then give empowering choices. We often um, tell... Uh, and you saw me do this with Rob too. So Rob, do you want me to help you or do you want to do it yourself? My mind was clear because I'd let the emotions of the conflict go and I was able to think clearly and give Rob two empowering choices, both of which I could live with that empower him to make this choice. He might have said, I don't want either. Well, if that's what you decide, then here's what's going to happen. And, you know, it's a constant sort of navigating of what are the empowering choices and it's hard and we experiment we go back and we talk with important people in our lives to figure out how can I make sure my child knows I'm communicating this message that they're a masterpiece built to do good things. Had a little three year old live in our house and, and the simple choice was Eli, he's screaming, I wanna I bring pick me up, bring me, bring me upstairs, come and get me and the mom would go down and get him and every day it was rewarded. Finally we were coaching with her and she said to him, Eli You can stay down there and cry as long as you want and that'll be fine. Or you can stop crying and come upstairs and be with us in the kitchen. You can decide. Within two days, Eli never sat at the bottom of the stairs again and cried. Empowering choices. It helps our kids' brains develop wisdom. Finally, quickly, you're responsible for your actions. The key thought is that when we punish our kids inflicting pain, believing that that pain is going to somehow motivate them to do good later, this negative is going to position them to do positive later, it might work in your presence, but it doesn't change hearts. Real discipline changes hearts. Punishment only shapes behavior, modification. Um, Natural consequences are a huge missed opportunity that we have as parents to help our kids learn. What are the natural consequences of stuff that happens? If you don't pick up your backpack, and bring it to school, there's a natural consequence for that. You don't have your homework to turn in. I'm going to get a bad grade, Mom. The scholarship people are going to be unhappy. My tendency as a parent is to jump in and say, oh, I can't let that happen to my child. That's about me, the parent. That's not about the child and what's best for the child. Parents who respond that way get themselves hooked into taking up and cleaning up all their kids' mistakes. Natural consequences are the stuff that just happens automatically. When two two kids fight with each other, the natural consequences are there's hard feelings, there's separation in the relationship. God designed us to be in relationships like this. When people fight, the natural consequence is they're apart from each other emotionally and usually physically. So often we just go in and tell them to say they're sorry and get on with life, and then they lie to us because they're not really sorry, they don't feel sorry at all because they haven't experienced their own remorse for what they've done. They've just experienced a controlling parent making them do what they're supposed to do. So helping our kids understand, talking through the natural consequences, and then letting them experience them is a powerful way to help kids learn. Sometimes they don't learn from that, so then we put make-it-right consequences in place. Um, I'm going to read this just quick from our book. Lynn, Lynn has written a whole section in the appendix of this book about all sorts of various Behavior challenges, and parents seem to love this one, so I'm going to read it. Um, This is about the mess that gets left in the entryway when kids come home. Uh, The make it right consequence um, doesn't involve a bunch of yelling. It's just helping my child navigate through this. What consequence best teaches my child to be responsible? If a child drops something in a common area, you can have her practice putting it away several times right now, starting from whatever she was doing before she dropped it. This helps her learn a neatness routine and not depend on a parent's reminder. For example, put your jacket back on, honey. Walk through the front door again and put it on this hook when you come in. And tomorrow, if you forget, you can practice two times. These teenagers are looking at each other and they're going, there's no, don't tell my parents this stuff. (laughs) Finally, there are lose-the-privilege consequences. And, you know, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and abused the privilege of being where God put them, they lost the privilege of being there anymore. Uh... When Moses sinned the sin of whacking the rock, when God told him to just speak the water forth, he lost the privilege of leading the people into the promised land. When David sinned against Bathsheba, he lost the privilege of building the temple. If I'm, if, if when my children acted up on the computer and, and did what I, they lost the privilege of the computer. We actually ended up unplugging the TV in our home when our kids were in, our oldest was in ninth grade, never has been plugged in since. Don't have a TV um, other than to watch videos because it will lose the privilege consequence. Hebrews 12, 11 tells us, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. And that's really the point of all of this, is that the discipline that we put in place with our children yields a harvest of righteousness. And I fear that when we as parents don't take accountability for these four powerful messages, we exasperate our kids and we do not yield a harvest of righteousness Um, and I could talk for a long time about that. I don't have time to here, but I I think that the, the church is losing kids in droves. Kids are growing up in the church, not coming back. We're doing a better job of ministry than we've ever done before. Our people are better prepared than they've ever been. They're staying in their jobs longer than they ever have, and more and more kids are growing up and leaving the church. I think one of the reasons is that the discipline that we do with our kids does not connect with their hearts, and they view and judge that, Our faith, which is revealed for what it is in the context of crisis, is found to be hypocritical. I don't think we have hypocritical hearts. I think we're not thinking enough about this. So I give you these seeds this morning to reflect on. And uh, the worship band will come uh, and get ready to play the last couple of songs. As they do, I just want you to, to reflect. Lord, what do you want me to take from this right now? We travel around and talk to, this is the 60th presentation I've done this year. Um, We asked the question, how many of you have written down your vision statement as a parent for the kind of parent you want to be? Not for the kind of kids or kind of family you want to have, for the kind of parent you want to be. Nobody writes this down, folks. I would suggest you to write down, what kind of parent do you want to be? Even one thing that you've heard here today, write it down, be accountable for it. Uh, Write it on your connection card here as we leave today uh, and turn it in at the back table so that you can receive prayer for that. Uh, Wouldn't it be cool if Restoration Covenant Church became a community of families of people of all generations who took high responsibility for these four messages, supported parents who are struggling in those messages? You're safe, you're loved, you're a masterpiece, and you're responsible. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. For the seeds planted this time, I pray that you'll take and increase and grow according to your purposes, whatever you desire and intend for this group. And I pray, Lord, that that would be done to the end, not that this would just be a bunch of happy families, but that this would be a bunch of families that are like a light in a world that is increasingly filled with with darkness and deception and kids walking away. Lord, that this would be a place where kids walk toward the Savior of the universe, Jesus Christ, for your glory and honor. Amen.